The projects that we really get excited about are ones where we're able to run with it and work with educational entrepreneurs, people that are really uh, pushing the envelope in terms of how to deliver education in a way that really serves the needs of children today and also the needs of the workforce of, of what uh, students need to learn. Welcome to the Wonder Podcast. This is your host, CCB, and today we're going to have a conversation around, I'm going to say, our collective future. And you'll hear, you'll understand more why I say that as I explain who our guest is and have him introduce himself. We, we're listening to the AIA San Francisco Classroom of the Future Awards presentation in the about a week ago, and we heard one of the award winners talking, Richard Berliner, and I'm going to have him introduce himself and explain a little bit about his background before we start our conversation. So welcome, Richard. So we're so glad you could join us. Hey, thank you, Carolyn. I'm really uh, happy to be here, excited about it. Uh, just a few words about myself. Uh, I'm an architect, been practicing for several decades, and over the last uh probably 20 years, we've really been focused on education and innovative learning environments. And that's a big percentage of our work. When the uh, Classroom of the Future competition was announced by the SFAIA, we were really excited. It seemed like it was right up our alley. Uh, it, it was framed around the COVID uh, pandemic and the impacts it had on school, but it really played to what we think is our strength in terms of where education has been evolving over the last 15, 10, or 20 years, where there's been really dramatic change in how uh, schools are organized, where education is delivered, uh, pedagogy, and how, how as architects we can support that. Uh, my background is, is as an architect, we've really become focused. We're, we're located in Los Angeles and Culver City. Uh, we're an office of about 15 people, and probably about 80% of our work is in uh, K through 14 education. Uh, the projects that we really get excited about are ones where we're able to uh, run with it and work with educational entrepreneurs, people that are really uh, pushing the envelope in terms of how to deliver education in a way that really serves the needs of children today and also the needs of the workforce of, of what uh, students need to learn because that's changed very dramatically. And if anything, the pandemic wasn't um, an exception, but it accelerated things that were already in place. And we really uh, jumped on that bandwagon, on that bandwagon with our uh, classroom of the future and the magic school bus, and really integrated these ide the ideas of the magic school bus and with ideas that we've been working on for many years already. So I love the um, a comment that was in some a publication of, um, about you that was talking about. Uh, your mission to transform the landscape of education and your your magic school bus in the classroom of the future dives right into that landscape, the the expansive landscape of what an educational environment might look like. So tell us a little bit more about the magic school bus. Yeah, so so you know we've been working we work with a variety of different uh, clients from the very biggest LAUSD. 
uh, to a lot of charter organizations, which are very entrepreneurial. And they were all dealing with similar issues of COVID and distancing and how to deliver education remotely or hybridly and, and how we can support that. And it, it really, uh, the magic school bus came from one of our team members, Eric Rutgers, who uh, I did not grow up in the generation of, of the magic school bus, but he did and many of our staff did. And it really you know, left a lasting impression of this transformational space that you'd leave your home, get on the, on the school bus, and it just transforms you to magical places. And it was you know, kind of a wonderful place to start. And from there, we built on it, built it on the landscape of Los Angeles, which is full of a lot of magical places, frankly, and how to integrate that into the classroom. Uh, one of the big shifts that we see in education is taking students out of a traditional classroom, moving them into flexible learning environments, and really reimagining what classrooms are. They're not four walls with a teacher standing at the front, but it's much more going from a teacher-centric to a student-centric program where it's about uh, instead of passive li learning, listening to a teacher lecture at you, where you're really engaged with it. And the idea of this magic school bus that would take you to the beach or take you to a museum, where you're really engaged with uh, what's around you and with the people that are using it and where the learning is very much firsthand. It's really exciting. And it's, it's the kind of experiences that we try and create in the schools that we design and also in the, in the uh, programming for students where they're not rigidly programmed um, in a very fixed way, but some of their program is in internships, depending on the age of the children, uh, working directly with professionals and really getting out of the uh, classroom to really learn a range of skills that are really very valuable. It's not rote learning. It's not so much how much you know, but it's how you work with other people and how to use that knowledge in a collaborative way. And this is something that we understand in the workplace has become essential. It's not knowing all the facts, but it's how you work on a team and, and how, you, how you can transform that information. So I was curious to see um, about, uh, you, you mentioned that you were not uh, of the era of the Magic School Bus, but there are members of your, of your uh, staff who have been exposed to the, the original Magic School Bus, if you will. But, um, but your background, your own personal educational background, leaned a little bit more into progressive learning early on. So will you talk about that a little bit and uh, a little bit about that and then about the organization of your particular, of your practice? Because it'd be curious to find out who are those people yeah. and what what do they bring. Yeah, I mean, my my I guess my earliest experience was I was a child of the '60s and I grew up during a very progressive period in education. I actually went to a school without walls or with few walls, and it left a lifelong impression on me. Um, where today a lot of our work is focused on designing buildings that break down walls create opportunities for collaborative learning. And really the excitement for me is working with educational entrepreneurs that really focus on what the skills kids will need when they go into the workplace. So often that is about problem solving, collaboration, interaction, and our, our work, you know, we uh, a real transformational project that we did was with High Tech High. Um, it's an organization that started down in San Diego uh, really focused on project-based learning, personalized learning, 
Um, we we won another competition, but it, it was a you know na- national competition that we won with Vista High School again for reimagining personalized learning, where students are really freed from the classroom to a large extent, where they have a very uh, individual um, uh, program that's really focused on their needs. Even for students that come from situations where they can't go to school a full day, where they're in an underserved community. And let's say they need to go, they have an after school job that they need to go to where their actual uh, daily schedule can be tailored to that need. Um, There's a lot of students that drop out of high school uh, because they can't attend on a regular basis. And one of the schools that we've worked with here in LA Hybrid High School really is based on that need of, of meeting either job needs or family care needs. The idea of the spaces that uh, we designed, but also the scheduling and how the students move through their day and the flexibility between the two, that they don't have to be sitting in a classroom all day, that they have uh, that flexibility to move, also engage in internships and other opportunities outside the classroom that really teaches these really essential skills of, of problem solving and critical thinking and uh, and ultimately creativity, which is greatly valued in the workplace as opposed to rote learning and knowing, you know, the, the you know, data of the American Revolution and all those dates. Still Come on, that comes in handy every now and then. Now and then it comes in handy, but, you know, I'm you getting, can look it up on Google in, you know, in a nanosecond. And, I have and, a master's in history and, um, and Google is probably a better friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> than, than my archive. Um, okay, but I, the other part of that question that I asked you was about your uh, your organization, your staff, and you obviously have such great passion for the education environment and education in general. And do you seek out folks that come to you with that yeah. intentionally? Yeah, I mean, our staff is it's extremely diverse in terms of where people come from. Um, in terms of education, in terms of uh, social and cultural background, race, religion, we really feel that informs the work. Honestly, most of the schools that we design are in underserved communities, and it really helps giving us an insight into who our, who our customers are, really, and the challenges that they face. I, I would say the one thing that ties everybody together in our office is a real passion for this work a real passion for making a difference in learning environments. And really, uh, you know, the greatest, you know, we we like winning awards and, you know, from the AIA and that kind of thing, but, you know, having a student or a teacher saying that going to a school that we designed was transformational is, you know, the best award we could ever win. And, you know, we don't, we, you know, can't claim all the credit for obviously the teachers and the principal and all that and the parents and the whole community that lifts kids up. But as much as we can be plugged into that and really express that through the architecture, uh, that, that that's our mission is, is to facilitate this kind of this 21st century learning and to express it to the community that you could see that there's really something exciting happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a magic school bus, but you know, a magic school that it really it's kind of a beacon in a lot of the communities that we work in. Um, the point that you just made oh darn it just skipped away from me I would I had a couple of thoughts going through my mind one is we um, at one workplace we did work uh, closely with Oracle on DTech high school and that was an, another one of those gave us the um, the insight into that uh, 
that intention to create an environment and a, um, an experience that will prompt you and prepare you for what work might be. So, right. so the question that I had was really, uh, how do you keep up uh, on the latest? You know, how do you how do you inform yourselves aside from you know your interaction with your clients on sure. on the latest and greatest and the needs and the opportunities within the education uh, environment. Yeah, so, so I, I didn't mention, you know, one of the ways we really got into doing this work, um, we were very involved in creative workplace, in entertainment workplace, uh, where I did a lot of work here in Los Angeles for those kind of firms. We got involved with an organization called Workplace LA, uh, Workforce LA, where they were taking abandoned metal shops and auto shops that the LUSD closed for whatever reason, because of lack of funding. Mm -hmm. And they were repurposing these spaces into production studios, um, editing bays, really uh, kind of career technical education for things that were needed for high school students to give them the skills that they could graduate high school and go to work in the entertainment business. So there was a real connection between what the needs are in creative workplace and what was being taught in the school. And that, and that we still kind of depend on that connection to really understand what's happening out there. You know, now it's all about VR and uh, AI and all these other new technologies that inform the workplace, uh, the most cutting edge workplace environments. We try and bring that knowledge back into uh, the schools that we design, whether it be maker spaces or other kind of labs or uh, audio visual equipment. Um, you know, because we've all in, experienced this huge shift in work where you have to show up at work every day for so many hours and you have to be in this place. But work and school is becoming less and less place-based, mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's this hybrid model. And I feel like the magic school bus, uh, this uh, classroom of the future really tied into that. So some of the other issues we were dealing with, of course, during COVID was um, the advantages of learning outside. Uh, being outside a building. Um, we've been designing a lot of outdoor learning environments. Uh, Los Angeles is pretty friendly to that. And um, huge opportunities. There's so much uh, uh, data that demonstrates students learn better and retain more when they're out in the natural environment. You know, the whole idea of biophilia, biophilic design that really reinforces learning. Um, for reasons we understand and don't understand, but there's, there's really hard data that demonstrates that. So that was part of the, uh, the sort of the other parts of the magic school bus of the classroom of the future was creating a school that really embraced outdoor learning environments where the students could be outside much of the day, um, either keeping them out of the wind and keeping them out of the sun and maybe warming the areas when you need it. But there's not, the idea is that it's not that often you have to go inside a building with four walls and air conditioning and heating and lighting and all that and all, and how it ties into sustainability as well, mm -hmm. as we really, you know, embrace this wonderful environment that we live in and, and plug it into education. There also is, uh, running through the, the Magic School Bus um, project, there is this strong sense of community. Um, which I think uh, there was this the ethos of connection and community, which you know may not have been as explicit, but if it, it it clearly came through. And from from that perspective, uh, what's the responsibility of the architect or the designer to um, to make connections to community? 
It's huge. I mean, we, we try all the time. Um, unfortunately, Los Angeles is pretty park poor, um, especially in, in certain communities where we work a lot, underserved communities where there's a very low percentage of parks. A school often is one of the few places in a neighborhood that has a big open green field that has a gym or an MPR. And we're often working with our clients, uh, trying to set it up in a way that they feel safe sharing their resources with the community. And it's, it's a win-win, you know, because a, a school coming into a new neighborhood, um, especially when we're dealing with charter schools, is often uh, opposition because issues of traffic and that kind of thing. But if the school can offer resources to the community, like open space, play space, it's a, it's a real win for the neighborhood. Often these schools are, are better than some of the other schools in the neighborhood. So uh, it really uh, helps us overcome some of the resistance to, um, to traffic, frankly. I mean, that's probably our number one bugaboo here in Los Angeles is traffic. Mm -hmm. And whatever we could put out there really makes a difference. One, one of our other clients, uh, Santa Monica Unified School District, they have a policy and all their campuses are open, open to the community. And it is such a, a component of goodwill with the community that they can share, you know, this open space um, and the city often, again, schools are one of the few open space resources in, in much of uh, Los Angeles. And if it can be shared, it's really valuable. And we've had conversations as well about occupancy and, you know, what, what, when is a school occupied and then how, how can that space be better used or, you know, additionally used to, to justify, you know, the, the, the physical plant in a right. way. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, going back to issues of sustainability, I mean, mm -hmm. if classrooms are used 10% of the week, you know, how do you justify that in terms of the cost of building it, of heating it and cooling it and all the embodied carbon it, as much mm -hmm. as that space could be utilized in a much higher level? Uh, one of the ideas with the classroom of the future is that the classrooms we use at a much higher density because of the way they were scheduled. You know, maybe a class is out on the bus traveling, going to the beach, going to the museum, but there's another class is you know, back at the school using the classroom at the same time. So it's kind of this more complex sharing of facilities and scheduling of facilities, which I think we really have the ability to do now because of programming and scheduling programs and um, you can figure that out better than, you know, often, you know, very complex scheduling things you can figure it out. So do you see what in working with your clients, do you see that, um, do you have that level of, of conversation on a regular basis about how is the programming actually going to work and, and how does the, the learning curricula and or the, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it varies dramatically. Yeah. Um, some of the smaller organizations we work with embrace it much more um, and are very excited about it and willing to, you know, come, you know, brainstorm and come up with ideas. Uh, they have less money, but they have higher ambitions in terms of what they can do with it. Larger organizations, it's more challenging, but there, there definitely is the will, you know, like LAUSD, there are people at LAUSD who embrace these ideas. We've had some success in designing spaces that are more about project-based learning and uh, spaces that are have the degree of flexibility and change. 
that has moved the ship forward a little bit. And, and I know there's a very sincere effort there to do it. I mean, it, obviously it's a district of, you know, more than half a million students and, you know. It's the second largest school district in the United States after New York. So you're working with. <laughs> it's big, yeah. Big, yeah, scale. Um, uh, I always at, want to ask the question, what, what, are you, what are you looking at for even beyond where you are today? Is are, do you spend time, you know, um, thinking about what what the next even be? I mean, the classroom of the future. You have that, but but there's that still is rooted in a bit of today. And what what does education look like in the future? Do you think? <laughs> you know, I have to believe that it's all going to be some sort of hybrid model. Um, I, I don't think we'll go back to a, a model where students are in the classroom on the same schedule. Uh, I think the, um, you know, the advances in technology really facilitate some pretty uh, dramatic changes. I think one of the other things we really learned during the pandemic is that being there together, the social and emotional skills of being in the same place together are hugely important to kids and that's never gonna go away. Um, and that's why I don't believe we're just going to stop building schools or places for kids to go. Um, I, I think that's important for children. I think it's important for adults. But I think that there will be, a, uh, again, this sort of continuous of continuum of change from a very traditional box to opening the box, making it flexible, connecting it to the outside, connecting it you know, to, to an open, natural environment. I think it's going to keep moving more and more that way, especially as we come under more pressure and responsibility to design sustainable buildings and limit the amount of buildings that we build um, and how we reuse buildings for schools or other environments. I, I, I don't know. If, I don't believe there's going to be like some major break where kids don't go to school anymore and they stay home. I, don't, I honestly yeah. don't see that happening. But it, it's really the integration of technology and flexibility and ultimately connecting kids and teachers more. The more we can connect them and make collaboration more fluid and engaging them with the world. And, uh, you know, some of the stories you hear, of, you know, of classes, you know, zooming in somebody from across the world to talk to them or having children from different parts of the world talk. And that left, you know, lasting impressions on, mm -hmm. on everybody. I think the, the ability to connect like that. Um, we worked with, um, uh, we have a wonder grant program, which uh, offers $20,000 grants to architectural firms to conduct research in certain areas that will advance their practice. And we, sh and they share that information, you know, as a, um, as a, um, as a portion, a part of the grant program. And we worked with EHDD here in San Francisco that, that, and it was focused on higher education. They were thinking about what it might look like. And one of the big, huge things that came out of it that you were just addressing as well was, <clears throat> was educational learning environments are social spaces and they will become more and more social spaces. And, and you know, there are ways that we can learn um, many different ways that we can learn in that hybrid learning kind of, but, but the element of social is such a great impact on the learning experience and on personal advancement, personal growth. Yeah. I think it's spreading. Like even the state of California now has embraced the importance of social collaborative spaces. 
Yeah. You know, it's all about formulas and how they give the funding. And now they count those collaborative spaces as usable learning environments. They didn't used to. So, you know, it's not all about the class, the 960 square foot classroom, and that's all that counts. Now it's the space, it's the corridors, it's how you interact with the informal interactions between students and teachers out in the in the in between spaces. And I think we all kind of understand that, that that it's sort of that informality that's so wonderful when either whether you're a kid out in the play yard or you're in the office, you know, walking down the hallway and you, it, you know, just those random interactions. I think we learn so much from that, especially for kids, kids, you know, where they're learning social skills and emotional skills. And uh, it's so critical that they be there in terms of their wellness, their long term development to be together and learn those skills which is so important when you really get out in the world, you know? Without a doubt. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a question that, um, that I wanted to ask because mm-hmm. I am a, a strong believer and firm proponent in pro bono work. And I had sure. read a little bit about the amount of work that your organization has done in the past. And I just wondered what the, what the, um, what the value you saw in that, you know, intrinsic and extrinsic um, and, right. and where, that, where that has taken you. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned Workforce LA a while ago. That was our first venture to pro bono work. And, you know, and it has it has led over the last 20 years to where the practice is today. I have to say we we learn a lot more. I mean, we certainly, I think we gain a lot more than we give, but we give as much as we can. Um, but we, we get to work with people who are so uh, excited and invested in what they're doing, especially in the world of education. Uh, we work with Workforce LA. We recently finished a building called with uh, Heart of Los Angeles. And, you know, these people are like so excited about what they do. And, you know, it's not about how much money they're making. It's about how much difference they make in their communities. And I think the people in the in the office here, my office, really have that similar passion to really make a difference in the community. Um, we have to be paid. We all have to earn a living. We all have to support ourselves. But I think we, we as architects, especially working in education, we really have an opportunity to make a huge difference. Pro bono work is really helpful for organizations trying to kick off a project when they don't have any money. We can help form a vision for them to go out there and you know reach out for philanthropy, show people this is what we're thinking, allow them to begin raising money to make it a reality. And I think that's really a critical piece of our work is that we can help them get over that hump mm-hmm. and give it give it some reality that they can point to something and say this is what we're going to do um, and help people visualize what they what they're describing well I think that um, the nature of your passion um, in transforming the landscape of education is extremely um, it's 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 clear it's obvious in every in the way that you communicate and I think in the project work that you've done. So I just wanted to say, you know, on behalf of everyone who's been a, a recipient of uh, your your design and your resources, that thank you because it's it's a heartwarming story and we, it it's so it's so important to hear good stories today. Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff going, and as horrible as the COVID has been, you know, I think there have been some things we've certainly all learned and brought us together in new ways. Mm-hmm. And hopefully make the best of that and keep building upon the, the good that's come out of all this. 
Okay. You get a last voice. Anything that you think, anything you think of the audience should hear that we haven't talked about? Um, you know, I, I think, I guess I would just go with the same theme. I, I think uh, there's huge challenges out there right now, but it just, it's when the, when things are tough is that we really have the opportunity to do some wonderful things. And I think a lot of the uh, conventional thinking has been broken in many ways. I mean, who thought that people could work remotely, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% of the time and it'll work. So that's changed so much. So it just opens up the world in, in education and workplace in so many ways for a lot of creative thinking and how to make that work for all of us. Great. Thank you so much, Richard Berliner. We're just thrilled to have you here on The Wonder Podcast. I will say that you can access The Wonder Podcast on any of the streaming streaming services, and we will look forward to speaking to our audience again sometime soon.